When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, you lot. It's lovely to be here again and to welcome you all back to Life-Changing Stories, the Pride of Britain, the podcast brought to you from the Pride of Britain team and our friends at TSB. Now, as you know, as part of the Pride of Britain family, I have the very great privilege of meeting some remarkable people, people who have somehow found the strength and courage to do amazing things and very often during the most difficult times. How any of us cope in these moments where we go on to enjoy peace and happiness is something I think that fascinates us all, particularly in these years. And in this week's episode, which is called Finding Joy, we'll be talking about coping with adversity and the things that make us smile, whether it's helping others, talking, being creative. We all have our own ways of living in the moment. Now, someone who makes lots of people very happy is the megastar, the very lovely Max George from The Wanted. Now, as a member of the band The Wanted, he kept us all entertained for more than a decade, giving us some amazing music and so many magical memories. So, earlier this week, we were lucky enough to have a brilliant chat with him about all of this and much, much more. So I'm here with the lovely Max George. Hello, Max. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Not at all. So you have been part of our Pride of Britain family for quite a while. Can you remember some of the awards that you've been to? Or the first time that you came, maybe? Oh, the first time. Do you know, it's one of them awards, the Pride of Britain awards, that when I was with the band, uh, like, years ago, when we first started, it was that was one of the sort of big first big awards we ever went to um and you know we were always a bit sort of nervous going there because it was such an event and we weren't used to that but then as time went by and we we've been to you know what all the events um all you know like the billboard awards and the brits and all that kind of thing it was always a pride of britain awards that we had the most feeling about because it's it's a, it's an awards about people um rather than like a, a talent you know it's 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 something it's an award pretty much that really really means something you know um and we always felt that going there so it was always it was always really lovely to be there and on top of that it's a great night like the the it's you know there's tears you laugh like we drink everywhere. Like it's just a really, really good night, and um, yeah, I've I've got some really happy memories of being there. Oh, that's brilliant to hear because I think for our winners, it is such a you know a special night. They're out of the comfort zone. They're in, yeah. and I think all the guests like yourselves really put people at ease. You, you know, we're spending time with people. I feel like it's the one time where it's all right to go up to people and get pictures, as many as you want, chat to mm. everyone. Everyone feels equal at that event. Um, mm-hmm. Like I say, it's not about celebrities, is it? It's about celebrating good things that people are doing. And I think in this day and age, that feels more important than ever. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was another thing that I was thinking, actually. It's so nice because when you're there, you just go up to tables and just have a chat with people that have just done amazing things like in their life or they might have saved a life. Uh, there was one lad, it was back in about 2011. I remember there was a story, I think he was about eight years old and he saved his dad's life. He had a, his dad had a heart attack. And I remember meeting him afterwards and it was like meeting a real life hero. You know, I mean, it was meeting a real life hero. I was like, oh my God, like you're eight years old and you did that. But then they're dead modest and humble as well, aren't they? I know, I know. That's the thing, like, they just, yeah, they they just, that's the thing that it just shows that it comes from within with some people and they just have that in them. Um, and, yeah, like I say, it, it's like meeting real-life heroes and um, and on the flip side, like you said, when there's artists or actors or whatever there, it, it isn't about any of us. Um, we're there to support them, and it's it's such a lovely night. Like I, I genuinely love the Pride of Britain Awards. Oh, that's good. And like you say, it is also a good party. I never want people to think that it's very uptight or you know po faced. It's really good fun. I remember one year it was probably a bit too much fun. We had to um, by the end of the night we had to uh, carry one of my bandmates out at the end. Um, I think Susan Boyle gave us a lift as well, uh, <laughs> him out, which was funny. We had Susan Boyle on our table. She, I think she gave us a lift carrying Jay out. Because you get mad mixes of people, don't you? I always think that obviously, you know, we kind of the seating plan means that people can mingle and, and makes it easy. So you yeah. get like these kind of unusual combinations of people that I don't think you would get anywhere else. You know, you just get there and it's a surprise who you're on the table with. For me, I always find it really inspiring. You know, you think... In my job, you can be quite jaded and you can think you've heard it all. And then, like you say, you meet these young people or people who've done heroic things. Or do you know what? People just dealing with hard stuff with, with real courage and dignity, which makes you think, God, would I would I kind of do that? So I always find their their strength really, really inspiring. And, and it is a kind of therapy, really. Um, I read recently about you, which really interests me about music, because music's a big part of my life, that music's your therapy. I think when I'm when I'm listening to music, um, or if I sort of took myself away in a studio and and just sort of write and sing like on my own, it just it blocks every negative out for me. Like I picked up a microphone, I think, uh, for the first time since I toured with with the boys, which was in like February or March. Um, and I don't like. I just had. I was just on my own. I had a mic, and I was just singing for a bit. And and I, I remember just for like, like five minutes, I just switched off. No worries, nothing. Um, and yeah, and, and I do the same. Like when I just listen to music, um, I don't know why it just makes me at ease. Like it puts me in a place of calmness. And and yeah, and then I take them out, and it's and it's mental again. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah, that's life in it. That's live, yeah. And I know you've spoken really honestly about your mental health, and, and I really yeah. love that because I think men need to do that, like, big time, especially younger men, because it's mm -hmm. a part of all of our lives. And I always think it's – I say to my children, it's okay not, you know, not to be okay, but having it in your own head is the worst thing. I feel like speaking about things that are happening is the best way to kind of – to help yourself. When you spoke out about that, did you get a, a big reaction from people? Did people contact you and – 
Yeah, yeah, huge, like the it was the reaction that was the biggest part about it because I I was still pretty apprehensive about talking about it. Um, not because because I, I had spoken to a couple of close friends and family who were aware, you know, that I struggle now and again. But speaking out in public was never on my agenda, you know, it just wasn't. Um, but then therapists and other people just said, you know, it it might help other people and do in helping other people, it might help you. Um and on to be fair, like when I when I've had the reaction, I, I didn't speak out in public to help me really because it it doesn't really make a difference to me speaking out in public or just keeping it to myself or to with my close family because they're the ones where when I really go into it, you know. Yeah. But what I found was when I got that reaction, it made me feel so much better knowing that me speaking out helped other people. And then that made me realise that actually speaking out does help yourself, you know. So it was their reaction that helped me. So it was a two-way thing. Um, and, yeah, like speaking out. And the other thing is I found recently that I've, just asking somebody, are you okay, you know, like a friend of mine who, happiest guy in the world, like you'd never, and, and I would never think he's ever down. But I remember a few weeks ago, I just thought, right, I'm just going to ask him, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, no, are you okay? And things changed then. And and it, I think it's so important just to just to do that. Even asking someone, are you okay, makes me feel better. Because I know that I've done that. Like, at least I've asked them, are they all right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, talking, I think talking is really important. It's true, because I think you need to make it, like you say, you can go, oh, are you okay, in a throat, but you've got to go, no, are you okay? People yeah. need, I'm actually genuinely asking you, what is the real answer? And I'm ready to hear it. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to bring people down. It's like, no, I'm ready to hear it. You can talk to me. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, if you think about it as well, like, you don't really, people don't ask that often, do they, like, in conversation, like, are you all, is everything okay? Like, are you all right? Like, it's normally just like a, you know what I mean? And then you move on, don't yeah. you? It's dead easy, like you said, to look at people because we can all present as happy if, if we want to. You can all put on that face. And I think yeah. especially when people are successful, you know, like yourself, it's like, you know, you've found success, you've done something that you that you enjoy doing, or done lots of, you know, lots of things that you enjoy doing. Um, and so people can assume that that means that everything's okay. But actually... You know, the way our heads work, it's kind of not like that. Do you know what I mean? You can have all the material success or, you know, a lovely family or whatever and still sometimes not be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I shook, my biggest struggle came when the band first, we, we went to number one, our first single, which was like, you know, that's what I dreamed of, like, as a kid, you know? And and as soon as it happened, I felt terrible. So it, it it's... It can be at any. It can be anyone at any time, you know. And so you've just always got to be mindful of how people are, and always, you know. I've what the other thing I've learned over because I, I used to be quite feisty in that when I was a bit younger, quite reactive and, and impulsive. But I have like an attitude now where if someone's not the nicest or whatever, I always try and take a step back and think, well, you don't know what they're going through today. They might have, something terrible might have happened, you know. I've learned to be a lot more patient with people 
going through what I've gone through and hearing about what other people are going through. So looking at where you are now, because you are busy, 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 you've done loads, you've done loads of telly stuff. You're doing the Strictly tour. What, what's that like? Are you, in, are, you, are you kind of injured? Are you in shape? What's happening? Yeah, uh, do you know what? I'm, uh, so I did, I did the uh, TV show, The Games, which I, I picked up, uh, got, like, I damaged my scapula and I, um, I burst my eardrum as well. How? So the uh, diving, off the diving board. Oh, God. Uh, I did it in the warm-up, so I burst it. and then, But because it was like a live show, I had to do the dive again after it and and it made it really bad. So my ear's still a bit dodgy. Um, but apart from that, I mean, you know, I'm in all right shape. Luckily, on this tour, I don't have to dance that much. I'm kind of like bobbing and out, do like the opening <laughs> number, do a bit of Charleston, a little bit of a jive. And then, um, but I sing on this one. Well, which okay. is nice for me. Like Like we were saying before, it's like a little bit of therapy, you know? And uh, and it, yeah, and the strictly not uh, are so lovely. Like it's such a lovely team, and um, I've I've loved being a part of that sort of strictly family. Because I mean, I didn't even do, I didn't do very well on it. I only got to week four, and I'm still nearly two years later, and I'm still doing stuff with them. It's been so nice. So yeah, it's a lovely show. It really is. It shows all kinds of the behind the scenes stuff at Strictly. What what it's like. Uh, getting the phone call to do Strictly. But like I say, I just sort of bob in and out and do a tune. So it's, it's nice for me. Is it like when, you do, when you're doing the TV show where you, you see them and they're like doing like 12-hour days of rehearsal, you know, they're in at six and you're thinking, oh, my goodness gracious, everyone's losing like two stone and going crazy. Yeah, you, you get glimpses of that. Um, uh, I get involved in that bit, actually, with Juvita, who's, who's on the show now. And... Um, she she chases me around with three different instruments. <laughs> Starts with a cane. <laughs> uh, sounds dodge. Yeah, then a ruler, then a then a cricket bat. Wow, nice. Yeah, <laughs> it always like sounds like you see the dancers on there, and you realise how like amazingly fit they are. Like how mm. hard, like they're hardcore athletes. Do you know what I mean? Like for them, doing a twelve-hour day of dancing is like yeah, fine, and let's do a bit more. And you're like, oh my good lord, the amount that they do. Like Neil, who's 40 he dances more than anyone else and you know he he, he doesn't don't even bat an eyelid like just does it it's no. just in him you know it's it's crazy it's really good for you though isn't it Dan I think dancing's good do you still play football or no I, I mean I, I play you know I have a kick about a little five aside now and again um the last I played any form of proper football was uh, 20, uh, what would it be, 2018, 2017-18, I moved to Vegas and um, I played a sem for a semi-pro team there just to get back into the swing of it a little bit and get fit again, tore my hamstring. So that, uh, so that after six, six, six months it uh, lasted, but yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And what are, your, what are your plans for the summer then now? Have you got anything nice lined up, as in any hollies or anything? Yeah, so... I've not really been home since December, um, and had a pretty. I've been working like the all year, um, and obviously I had a had a really difficult sort of, well, pretty much last sort of eighteen months. So uh, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a bit of time off once this tour's finished. Um, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna take a month or two off and just 
just go away and and just like yeah just listen to some music probably and and just yeah just chill but i mean i, I do love being busy i do love being busy it's just it's, it has been like quite a quite a ride this last couple of years so um yeah i'm probably just gonna go and relax and then i don't know maybe after a week i'll be driving myself mad and i'll be i'll be back at it you know I know it's like the idea of it's amazing isn't it and then I'm kind of a bit like that after a week it's like right what now but yeah exactly you know when you need it I think when you you know if if you need it you need it are you a kind of beachy kind of person or are you normally quite active if you go away yeah I I, I do I love the sea actually I love spending time in the sea I've got like a bit of an obsession with the sea and what's in it um I've always been I've always had like an obsession with sharks actually so, I mean, not that I want to, like, I don't want to, like, bump into one. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah but, don't get too close. No, but, like, I'm fascinated with the sea, so I just, I just love, like, being in there. And It's another thing that I find really therapeutic is being underwater. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but it just clears your mind. Someone told me that there's, like, a nerve at the back of your neck and mm. something about being in water genuinely affects that it it does kind of reset you like there is something physical that's happening because I was like yeah what what is that but I really like it. I love being in water I just texted someone yeah. I'm dreaming about dreaming about going to the Lake District to go for a swim you know that clear water it's just it's just yeah fun. yeah mm-hmm. also I feel like if you're a musical person when you're in that kind of zone music comes into your mind I think yeah and certain things triggered certain songs in your head it's been lovely chatting to you oh um, you too I'm really, really pleased to um, to hear about everything you've got planned. And we will see you again at, at Pride of Britain in the autumn, I hope. Amazing. I'd love to be there. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much, Max. Have a lovely Oh, you're week. welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much, Max. That was lovely to speak to you. And we wish you all the very best with everything that you do in the future. At TSB, we're proud to partner with the Pride of Britain Awards because we want to say thank you to all the everyday heroes. To the ones who put the fun in fundraising, or those who speak up for others. To the good-natured few who plant seeds to feed communities. And to the warm-hearted people who always have the kettle ready. TSB partners the Pride of Britain Awards, thanking those who help others. Because that's life made more. Now, my next guests are part of a family who made medical history. When Jess Evans and Mike Houston were expecting twins, they were given the news every parent would dread. They were told that one of their beautiful babies, Teddy, was suffering from a rare condition. And if he survived full term and then survived the birth itself, Teddy wouldn't live for very long after he was born. Well, Jess and Mike and the family only got to spend 100 precious minutes together with Teddy after he was born. But the impact Teddy made on the world has been huge. Jess and Mike made the very brave decision to allow Teddy's kidneys, his organs, to be donated to someone who needed them, making him the UK's youngest ever organ donor. Their actions raised the profile of organ donation, leading to a huge rise, hundreds of thousands of new people, in fact, registering their names to donate. We first met each other when they won a special recognition award at the Pride of Britain back in 2015. And I 
I've just caught up with them again. Well, first of all, hello again after all these years. Lovely to see you. I know. I know. Lovely to see you too. Knew, We've yeah. missed you. <laughs> oh, I know. It's been it's been really weird over the last few years, hasn't it? It's just like, oh God, what we're going to do? What we're going to do? Yeah. But um, but it is lovely to see you. Still looking so uh, bright and beautiful and Welsh. <laughs> Same to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only be good. Um, now you won your Pride Britain Award in twenty fifteen. And what I want to do is just obviously tell Teddy's story. Yeah, so we had discovered you were pregnant um, quite early on. I had a lot of morning sickness, maybe two weeks pregnant. So after a couple of weeks, I got quite unwell, which led us going into the hospital for an early pregnancy scan. And at the pregnancy scan, I was expecting some bad news, like an ectopic pregnancy or something, because I'd been so very ill. But it was actually um, just double the amount of hormones making me extra sick because I was carrying two babies. So that's when we found out we were twins. Yeah. So we were in shock. We were very excited, you know, looking at double buggies and thinking, how are we going to fit two babies in our house? And <laughs> all these different things. Obviously told friends and family. Um, everyone was, you know, so happy for us. Um, and then at a later scan, couple of weeks in we found out that one of the babies had a condition they called at the time acrania um, which we didn't fully understand we weren't really explained it very well in the sense that we didn't know that meant it was um you know the, the baby couldn't survive so we went back again two weeks later which they told us it looks like both babies were fine and carry on our pregnancy as normal. So again, we were elated, thinking, great, everything's fine. That was a mistake. Two weeks after that, we went back for another scan in which they told us it looked like both babies could possibly have this condition. They were now calling anencephaly. Obviously, a lot of worry, a lot of upset. We couldn't enjoy the pregnancy at all at this point. Um, and it wasn't until maybe about 20 weeks where we went for a private 4D scan that you could really see that there was a problem with Teddy and the Noah was actually fully formed and, you know, growing as he should be. So it was a kind of the 20 week point we accepted that there was something really wrong um, and started looking more into the condition and found very little information. Actually, there wasn't a lot there because most of these pregnancies, as soon as they're detected, they're terminated. Mm. So that was kind of where we were. Yeah. Yeah. Something like, Near, near 100% of them once detected are, um, are terminated. And we were encouraged to terminate um, from you know, various people that we met in, in our scans. Um, we could have chosen selective termination, so we still could have carried on the pregnancy with Noah and had a termination of the, of the one sack because they were in separate sacks. So that was something that was possible for us. But it wasn't something we wanted to do. So we just wanted to let nature take its course and just to, um, you know, what will be will be sort of attitude. I have to say, uh, before we carry on with, with this, it, it's, you know, you were both, I mean, now you're in your 30s, you know. So, oh, you wouldn't catch me. Oh, yeah. I'm approaching 40, Carol, now, actually. Oh, no, no, don't say that. Don't say that. I know. But you were, you know, for something like this to happen, which does happen to people, um, yeah. 
were young, weren't you? You know, you yeah, look relatively young. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you know to have this kind of responsibility and emotion, particularly as you say, you know, one scan you're told that oh no, this and possible termination, then no, they're fine, and then no, and, yeah. and backwards and forwarding. Just yeah. um, at that stage, did did you feel? Oh, I mean, obviously terrible, but did did you gather strength from it at all, or did that come later? I think there there was a lot of inner strength which um, came out right away. Um, I already had a little girl; she was two at the time. So we have to be yeah. Billy. Yeah. So we have to be strong for Billy's sake. Um, we obviously had varying opinions of friends and family members over what to do, and I think it it was nice to have people giving all different opinions and allowing us to just make the decision for ourselves without yeah. too much pressure because I felt there was certain pressures from medical people who were encouraging us to terminate because I think it was something that they'd never really seen before or had to deal with so it was a very new process for a lot of people and um, no one was familiar with taking a baby with and carefully to term so it was it was challenging for for people outside of just our little bubble as well um but we you know we obviously made the right decision and to to be honest for me it was never a decision to make I was always going to carry the pregnancy through it was nice to hear other people's opinions but I was the one carrying the babies they were mine to look after and I was going to look after them for as long as I could yeah so so you knew from very early on in the pregnancy really that Teddy wouldn't survive yeah other than for his very hundred precious, precious minutes, which which we will talk about. But, you know, people don't think about organ donation. Was this something that, that was particularly for a baby, you know, for a fetus, really? It was like, what, how, what, yeah. where did that idea come from? It was actually something I'd um, been brought up around talking about organ donation. I remember my mum having a magnet on our fridge um, saying she was an organ donor and we were always encouraged to sign up um, when we had our driving license, things like that. It was just an open conversation we'd all had as a family that organ donation was something that we were all um, in support of. So when we met with T Haven, um, an amazing hospice we have here, uh, and we met with a That's wonderful the children. it's a, it's a children's palliative care. Um, yeah. So we met with a, an amazing professor, uh, Richard Hing, and we just had the discussion. He was just the first person who who we thought um, to bring it up with. Because if Teddy had lived more than, you know, a couple of hours and was surviving by himself, for a short period of time it would have been, but there was a chance that he could have lived maybe a couple of weeks Um breathing and supporting himself we would have gone to heaven and they would have looked after us there so it was at that point we started discussion uh, discussing organ donation you know organ donation you get your driving yeah. license i yeah. understand that you know it's kind of you, yeah. you get it it's it's a, obviously now we have to opt out rather than opt in which is yeah, fantastic but um which is a great advance but for a newborn literally for a newborn it's not I don't think I'd even heard about that before your story came out. Well, it didn't actually happen before 
Um, they, it hadn't no, happened. No, it hadn't happened. So I think there maybe have been one or two failed attempts in other countries that hadn't really been documented very well. But we weren't aware that it hadn't happened. It's like, right, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to Google. Yeah. So it was like, even when we spoke to some, like Jeff said, some of the doctors, they were quite discouraging because even they couldn't go to their shelf and go, right, okay, we'll take this book off. And yeah, this is what happens. There was no playbook. You know, it was like everybody just kind of winged it almost. And then um, even to the point with the next stage then when um, we were referred and we had the um, the SNOD, the Specialist Nurse Organ Donation, and Harrod, come to, they, she came to our house and she said, look, you know, I'll, I'll be up front with you. This is very slim. You're talking like probably less than 5% chance of it even happening almost, you know, just getting to the stake where it's possible. Because um, there were so many things against us, you know, would would Teddy survive the birth? Or, there was just so many variables that yes. meant that it was almost like you almost had the feeling that, that some some of especially some of the people at the hospital were like almost like it's not even worth talking about because it's such a small chance of it actually being successful. But mm. he proved them wrong. <laughs> so and that's what it comes down to, you know, is he, yeah. proved, he proved everybody wrong. Obviously, you knew what was going to happen um, when you were giving birth to Noah and to Teddy. Yeah. As a woman going through that, you must have had tremendous mixed emotions because you want to celebrate obviously Noah's birth and yet everything in those early times was really about Teddy, I suppose. It was. um, um, We were quite, uh, we were quite sorry for Noah because he had kind of been abandoned up until this point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we hadn't really spoke much about him. All the attention had been on Teddy. But we were lucky in the sense that we we knew he was going to die at some point very early on, either in pregnancy, in the labour period, or shortly after birth. So we had time to come to terms with that, whereas other poor mums, where they experienced stillbirth, things, you know, things like that, that, that's horrific and not not saying that what we went through wasn't horrific but by the time it got to the birth we were comfortable and content knowing what was going to happen going forward we had made peace for that and we were able to still enjoy that moment for what it was Mm. so we actually had a really beautiful time for that first hour that Teddy was alive you know it was really calm peaceful we just held him it was it was lovely and you held him too Mike yep Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, this was the first experience of me of childbirth, other than when Jess used to play, what was it called, that show on telly every day? Um, one Born Every, one born every minute. minute. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. That, I watched that <laughs> pretty much every day with Jess. So I, I, that kind of gave me a little bit of a... But I'd never been through that before. So it was all so, like, new to me and whatever. And it was just, yeah, it just looked like you reflect on it, like I was saying earlier on, and you, it was just an experience that... I, I just don't know how to describe it. Like when when Jess was lying there and I'm just kind of just sat by the side, you almost feel helpless. But you've yeah, got, yeah. we had like, there were so many doctors and nurses in the room for the whole thing, you know? So yeah, when um, when Teddy came out, it, it wasn't, we didn't really have a plan, but it was all, like they had, a, um, so Jess was on the bed here and then in one corner they had um, the bed that they said they were going to take Teddy to, which was, it was kind of like lit up under a lamp and thing. And then there was another bed to the side where Noah was going to go. So when Teddy came, I I cut the cord and and that was great and very emotional. And then he, they took Teddy over to the bed. No, the way down. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I was born first. Sorry, yeah. And then when Teddy came, we took him over to the bed and 
he like cried, which again, nobody, he like did like this little like scream, little yelp, but no, nobody, that was something else. They said that he wouldn't make a noise. And so when he, he made this song, it was like a, like that. And it was like, like a yeah, it was like a baby kitten almost. And then, so they took him over to the bed and I just went with Teddy and I kind of like, I had, I just put my hands on him like this. And, and it was like, like Jess was saying, it was, I don't know how to describe it. It was because you look at photos of baby with Vivana carefully and you try and prepare yourself that like your son is going to look this way. And you just, when as a dad looking down at him, I just didn't see it. All I saw was his face and it didn't matter any about anything else. And um, yeah, I just, I just, for a couple of minutes, the nurses just stood around and there's nothing, you know, there was nothing they could do. It was just about, yeah. Yeah. They just, there was a monitor on him, but other than that, it was very raw and it was just me there with him. And I just put my hands on him and my head on his belly and he, he was just moving like, you know, and it's just, yeah, which, which that, at that point it was like, they, they said to us that might not happen. He might be still and no noise, but he was moving and making that noise. So yeah, it was, I'll never forget it. And it was, yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. And then after a hundred minutes, obviously you held him Jess. And then after a hundred minutes, um, Teddy's life ended. So that as soon as he did actually pass away, they had a very small window of time to get him into the operating theatre. So it was more or less as soon as he went, yeah, he, he she took him away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know we trusted her completely to look after him and treat him with dignity. And she bathed him afterwards and dressed him in a little outfit that we had requested and brought him back to us. And Mm. We stayed with him then for I think five days in a um, in a room within the hospital, and he was in a cuddle cot, which is a, a, a cold cot basically, where you can you know once a baby's passed away they can stay in there, and it preserves them to the you know in the best way. So it gave us chance to say goodbye in our own time. So obviously Teddy's heart was uh, was removed, and what happened to his little heart after that? The beating heart of Teddy. It wasn't actually um, his heart. It was his heart valves, um, but it was actually his kidneys um, that were placed um, uh, transplanted. And was that for um, for for medical reasons that they couldn't put his heart in, or what, had had they? It was it was because it was unknown. Because since Teddy, they've learned from Teddy that actually they could have at the time parts of more organs, but they didn't know. So since then, lots of babies have donated since Teddy because now it's a done thing. So now they know that it's possible and that they do work and that they do grow in adults. They can they can be donated to children, obviously, but they can be donated to adults and they'll just grow to that size. Mm. So it's, it's incredible what they can do in the medical world. It's absolutely outstanding. Mm. And, you know, we had an amazing team working with us, a transplant team, doctors, midwives, everything. So we're just really grateful that they allowed it to happen because it was it was midnight um, before I actually gave birth. I was in slow labour and there was still a team of them in a meeting down the corridor still debating how on earth this is going to be possible. Let's cut to 2014. So um, when you came down to get your Pride of Britain award uh, in London, and um, there was one thing that really uh, struck home was when, Mike, tell us about the little soft toy that you brought on, on the stage. 
we had Teddy's heartbeat was recorded into like this recording uh, thing that we we'd found. I don't know how we how we actually it found was it. Our 4D scan. Yeah, it was at a four D scan. They recorded his heartbeat for us, which was which was like unbelievable. So um, what we did is we had the the recording um, put into um, two teddy bears. So we got two teddy bears, one smaller one, one big one, um, which obviously we still have today. And you press the belly and the Teddy's heartbeat, you can hear inside the bear, which is brilliant. So yeah, I brought him along to the Pride of Bitten because why not? You know, it, it was just another way of him being there. You know, his, his beating heart was with us. Like, so well, as it always is. But yeah, that yeah. was that. Yeah, it's really nice. And the kids got the Teddies. So that's brilliant. Just tell me about some of your sort of memories of the of that night. It's just so surreal, isn't it? Because you, you we're we're like normal people. We're from Splot, Carol. You know, as you <laughs> I know Splot. We're, we're normal Splot people, um, and you're chucked into this world of that you just don't know, you know. And with you, you, you walk past and it's like, oh, it's David Beckham by there, you know. And it's like. <laughs> And yeah, you know, we're at a lovely hotel and like, you know, we, uh, we had a lovely meal with you the night before and meeting all the other, all the other guys there. That was just. <laughs> I think I fitted in quite well. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. Everyone was so kind to us. Um, we met some amazing people that yeah. night. I think I got a little bit too drunk, maybe <laughs> afterwards. It's hard not to when there's just wine on your table. Yeah. And, uh, Tina O'Brien um, from <laughs> yeah. Corrie kept, kept us out until the early hours. Um, yeah, we, we, it's we a great party like after, isn't oh, it? It's yeah. a great party after. It's yeah. very special, I know. Because it's such an emotional programme as well that it's almost like a relief after, isn't it? That you go think, oh, can I have yeah. a drink now? Because <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's no real way to prepare for it. Like, you know, the team behind the scenes is so good and they, they like try and help you, but there's no way to prepare normal people being around these stars and walking up onto this stage in front of me. There's no way. You, you've just got to kind of go with it and... How has it affected in terms of organ donations? Because Noah now, Teddy's twin, obviously, is eight, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. He was eight a couple of weeks ago, yeah. yeah. Oh, you have a big party. Yeah. So how, you know, in the eight years since, mm. uh, since Teddy's uh, birth and then donation of his uh, kidneys, mm. how has that changed organ donation? Because I would imagine that you're still very sort of actively involved, really, in finding out what's going on. In the months after, you had baby Hope, who wasn't just a baby, you know, it was this, it was basically a carbon copy um, of what happened. So it was that instant. And when people talk about organ donation, the way I describe it, it's like a spider web. So you have the middle, you have the spider in the middle, and then he casts the web, and you have all these things coming off. So you have the people who are directly affected, so like that baby, for example, and then you'll have the people who are indirectly affected who will say, oh, well, because of this story, you know, I'm going to sign up. So yeah. you, there's these it's, it turns into hundreds of thousands of people who actually are positively affected by it. Um, but yeah, you know, like in Wales, where the opt-in, opt-out um, thing, you know, come around, yeah. that's had a massive effect on numbers of organ donation and the amount of people who are actually receiving um, organs in Wales. And that's like a really proud thing for us because we were there, like it, not right at the beginning, but we were there at the time yeah. just when it was changing. And it, or yeah. all, it, it was like it almost, it was meant to be, you know, Teddy happened and then the law changed. And it was like, it was this. Yeah, we've, yeah. Had, we've had some amazing experiences with Kidney Wales, with the Donor Family Network. And then a dear friend of ours, um, 
Anna Louise Bates, she set up a charity called Believe following uh, the death of her husband and son who um, was able to be an organ donation, uh, organ donor. And they'd actually had the conversation after meeting us prior to their deaths. And it, it's just, it's it, like Mike said, it's a ripple effect. And through Teddy's um, sign up on the paper, um, mm. through Andrew Gregory, it was hundreds of thousands of people signed up. Oh. Uh, isn't that wonderful? I mean, it, it is absolutely wonderful. It's the legacy that like, it, it, you just, if I could have, three percent of his legacy you know and he lived for so yeah. i would just be a made-up person so yeah. yeah it is wonderful so so how's life now how's noah i tweeted you remember and he did your max factor down because um noah was struggling with maths and he was struggling a bit a bit with other things so when i'm not a teacher and so we signed up to max factor and he came on a leaps and bounds with maths because of you like, like you know. online math school for those yes, who are Carol's online math school max factor. <laughs> yeah he's um yeah he's, he's playing rugby and he's yeah he's like he's a boy's boy you know um, yeah one thing i do i do see in noah though is that you can tell he was destined to be a twin and yeah. it is upsetting because he always needs to be with someone. Yeah. He's a very affectionate person. He he is the ideal yeah. person to be a twin and to have a really close bond with with a brother. So it is it is upsetting seeing that side of him because he doesn't have that. But he he's an amazing kid. You know, both our kids are amazing, and and obviously Teddy. Well, he's just outstanding, isn't he? But um. He's a wonderful, lovely, kind little boy. Do you have a message to anybody listening? I mean, your story is the message, really, I suppose. But, yeah. uh, you know, who might be going through some difficult times. Is there anything that you would say where to garner your strength from? I actually received hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of messages from parents who... Um, Oh, from mums especially who were mm. pregnant maybe had similar diagnosis or had previously had an anencephaly diagnosis and been encouraged yeah. to terminate and and felt like they wished that they had not done so so I'm hoping that in the future people who have heard our story and get maybe do experience unfortunately the same diagnosis that we did or something similar to just do what feels right for you don't feel pressured I, I know medical you know profession professionals do sometimes um we we assume they know best but sometimes I may not be best for mental health or dad's mental health so just just do what you believe is right yeah and everything else will just fall into place yeah well you're both incredible and um thank you so much and wishing you all obviously all of you the four of you um all the very best uh, in the world in, in the years to come and if uh, no one needs any more times tables lessons i'm the girl <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> such a moving story and such wonderful people thank you jess and mike well Today's Your Stories of Pride shines a spotlight on another very inspiring person. Over to you, JK. Now we've all seen the adverts and videos showing us how to administer CPR, but doing it for real for someone you love must be a truly terrifying experience. Cool-headed teenager Jessica Hugg found herself having to put the advice into practice when her dad became seriously unwell on Christmas Day this year. The family were enjoying some time together at their home in Backup, East Lancashire, 
when Christopher, who has multiple sclerosis, stopped breathing. He's 51 and his condition means that he can't walk or talk. But when wife Philippa went to give him his usual pain medication, she realised something wasn't right. Christopher seemed to be struggling to breathe. Then he suddenly stopped breathing altogether and became unresponsive. Philippa ran to call 999. The operator told her there was no time to waste and they needed to give him CPR straight away to save his life. Despite being only 14, heroic Jessica sprang into action, remembering the instructions she had been taught at primary school. She remembered learning how to administer chest compressions in time to the Bee Gees song Staying Alive. She got down beside her dad and did just that, staying calm and keeping going until he started breathing again. As she remembers, we tried to wake him up and he wouldn't wake up so we phoned the ambulance and they told us to put him on the floor because he wasn't breathing right. And then he stopped breathing. Then they said, you're going to need to do CPR. I just zoned out and concentrated on doing it. Finally, just before we got told the ambulance was here, my dad coughed and gasped and started breathing again. It was scary, but I just did what I needed to do. I'd do anything for my dad. Now Jessica plans to build her own skills by volunteering with her local St. John's ambulance and training to become a paramedic. Needless to say, her proud parents will be backing her all the way. As Philippa says, she was just so cool and calm. She wasn't flustered or anything. If anything, I was, but she just got in there and did it and saved his life. She certainly did. Well done, Jessica. Wow, that's all I can say. I hope you love hearing these stories. I'm sure you do. Um, If you have something you would like to share about somebody who you know or somebody who you've observed making a real difference to others' lives, then please do get in touch for the chance to feature them in our regular Your Stories of Pride slot. We'd love to hear from you. For now, though, all that's left is for me to say a big thank you to our guests, to Jess, to Mike and to Max George, to our friends at TSB, the lovely JK, and of course, and most importantly, to you. Don't forget to let us know what you think about our podcast on our Pride of Britain social media channels. And I will be here next time when we will be talking to more extraordinary people, the Pride of Britain. <laughs>